0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Fantastic Fights, the podcast where a middle-aged man plays through the adventure game books he loved as a child. That middle-aged man is me, H.J. Doom, and this episode sees us heading into urban territory for the first time as we explore the wretched hive of scum and villainy known as Port Blacksand, also known by the title of this adventure book, City of Thieves. Before we dive into the action, there is a little bit of housekeeping to do. Firstly, I need to thank a new patron who has kindly sponsored the show. Thank you very much to Zoe M for your generous support. If you'd like to support the show yourself, you can pledge as little as £1 a month by going to patreon.com forward slash hjdoom. Any and all support is deeply appreciated, and if we get to £50 in monthly donations, I've committed to making this a bi-weekly, rather than monthly podcast. If you don't want to support the show financially, then please consider leaving a review to help more people find it. That would help me out a lot. No pressure though, I appreciate we've all got a lot going on right now, what with one thing and another. The second bit of housekeeping relates to the name of the show. I've decided to shorten the name of the podcast to simply Fantastic Fights. This is because the original subtitle was a Harry Potter reference, and given J.K. Rowling's recent extreme transphobic comments, I feel more comfortable removing any references to her work from my own. With all that out the way let's get into the meat of the episode city of thieves was first published in 1983 it was written by ian livingstone with interior and cover art by ian mccaig and the cover art is fantastic a grinning horned skeleton fingering a scythe in front of an ominous looking gateway there's a lovely use of a restricted color palette which ties into the green spine and back cover and it makes this book feel very lovingly designed it's a small thing but it does a great job of drawing me in before my adventures even begun City of Thieves is a classic fighting fantasy book. We've got skill, stamina and luck, a sword, leather armour, 10 provisions, which each restore 4 stamina, and a potion of either stamina, skill, or luck. It's actually quite nice to be back on this familiar ground after the proliferation of additional systems that characterise Starship Traveller. Our character, who I've named Mimsy Flockbother, has a skill of 10, a stamina of 21, and a luck of 8. I've therefore decided that they'll have a potion of luck to restore their luck to maximum, and add 1 to that total. So without any further ado, let's dive straight into The City of Thieves. (laughs) You are an adventurer in a world of monsters and magic, living by quickness of wit and skill of sword. You earn your gold as a hired warrior, usually in the employ of rich nobles and barons on missions too dangerous or difficult for their own men. Slaying monsters and fearsome beasts in pursuit of some fabled treasure comes as second nature to you. Being an experienced and highly trained swordsman, you allow nothing to stand in your way on your quests. Your success on a mission is always assured, and your reputation has spread throughout the lands. Whenever you arrive at a village or town, the news of your coming spreads through the citizens like wildfire, as few of them have ever met a dragon slayer before. This is a build-up that I fear I may struggle to deliver on. One evening, after a long walk through the outlands, you arrive at Silverton, which lies at the crossroads of the main trading routes in these parts. Great wooden wagons hauled by teams of oxen are often seen rumbling slowly through the town, laden with herbs, spices, silks, metalware, and exotic foods from far-off lands. Over the years, Silverton has prospered as a result of the rich merchants and traders stopping there en route to distant markets. Its wealth is quickly apparent, with ornate buildings and richly dressed people aplenty. But as you enter the town gates, something strikes you as not being quite right. The people look nervous and on edge. Then you notice that all the windows on the buildings have great iron grills bolted over them, and the doors have been strengthened too. Although you prefer your own company to that of others, I certainly do, you decide to stay in Silverton for the night to find out who or what is troubling the people. As you walk down the main street, a single note from a bell rings out from a tall tower ahead. Then a man shouts, almost desperately, "'Nightfall! Nightfall! Everybody indoors!' You see people scurrying around with anxious faces and looking surprised when they see you. Across the street you see a tavern with the words "'The Old Toad' painted on its signboard. As you enter the tavern, a whisper runs through the locals as they recognise you. Some put down their mugs and stare. You are somewhat surprised that none come over to you to hear tales of your adventures.' walking over to the counter you ask the old innkeeper for a room and a hot tub but he ignores you and shuffles over to the great oak door pushing six large iron bolts into place only then does he turn to you and say quietly that will be five copper pieces for the room and one more for the tub in advance if you please you reach into a leather pouch on your belt and toss the coins on the counter He hands you an iron key, but at that very moment there is a loud knocking at the door, followed by a voice shouting, Open up! Open up! This is Owen Karaliff, a man with a name only fractionally less silly than the ones I usually give my adventurers. The old innkeeper shuffles over to the oak door again and slides open the bolts. Then a fat and balding man, dressed in rich scarlet robes, bursts into the tavern, looking around frantically. He sees you and walks quickly in your direction, huffing and puffing. He is a man certainly not used to haste. You notice great beads of sweat on his forehead in the pale candlelight of the room. As he nears you, he calls out urgently, "Stranger, I must speak with you. Please sit down. It is important that I speak with you." When he turns to the innkeeper to snap his fingers for food and drink, you can see that he is obviously of some standing in the town but his face is full of anguish and sorrow. Being curious, you decide to hear what the man has to say. He pulls out a chair for you at a table, bidding you to sit down, and the innkeeper bustles in with a tray laden with hot broth, roast goose and mead. The man in the scarlet robe sits opposite in silence, watching you as you feast, as though examining you for some purpose of his own. Finally, as you push your plate away, the man leans forward and says in a low but anxious voice, Stranger. I know of you and seek your aid. My name is Owen Caraliff. I am the Mayor of Silverton. We are in great trouble and danger. We are living under a curse. And it is I who must rid us of it. Ten days ago... Two messengers of evil rode into town on huge black stallions. Stallions with fiery red eyes. It was impossible to see the faces of the riders, for they wore long black cloaks with hoods pulled over their faces. Their voices were cold, and each word spoken ended with an unnerving hiss. They asked for me by name, and when I came out to greet them... They wanted to take my beloved daughter Mirel to stay with their master Zandbar Bone. No doubt you know that he is the Night Prince. Of course I refused their demands and without another word they turned and rode slowly out of town. Heads down, shoulders hunched. I knew then that beneath the cloaks were hidden the skeletal and soulless bodies of spirit stalkers zambar bone always uses them as his messengers as they will complete their mission or die in the attempt and they do not die easily only a silver arrow through the heart will release these evil beings from their eternal twilight existence who knows what it would take to kill the bone himself anyway that same night after the spirit stalkers left our troubles began the night prince was angry and determined to harm us six moon dogs came each stronger than four men each with razor-sharp fangs they stalked through the town entering homes through open windows and killing the poor people inside in the morning we counted 23 dead so we barred our windows and bolted our doors yet each night the moon dogs return We are unable to sleep for fear that they might find a way into our homes. Some people are now talking of sending Morel to Zambarbone. Those whimpering traitors. I should have them flogged, but what good would that do? There is but one hope, and that rests with you, stranger. There is a man called Nicodemus who, for reasons I'll never understand, lives in Port Blacksand. The place is commonly called the City of Thieves, as it is the home of every pirate, brigand, assassin, thief and evildoer for hundreds of miles around. I think he lives there just to get some peace from the likes of us. He is a wise old wizard. He's unlikely to come to much harm even in Port Blacksand, for his magical powers are great. He alone is capable of defeating Zambarbone. He used to be a friend many years ago. We need him now, and I beg you to bring him to us, none here dares enter Port Blacksand. You will be well rewarded if you help us, stranger. Take these thirty gold pieces for your journey, take this sword to use and keep. As Owen Caraliff rises, he pulls back his scarlet robe, revealing the finest broadsword you have ever seen. He hands it to you and, touching the edge of the blade, you are surprised to see a droplet of blood fall from your finger. You then examine the marvellous, ornate, gilded serpents twining round the hilt. You have never wanted anything so badly in your life before. You stand up and hold out your right arm to Owen. He shakes it eagerly, saying, You must set off at the first light of dawn. The moon dogs will be gone by then. I shall be forced to stay the night here also, so let's drink. To our destiny, and may the gods be with us. For the next hour, Owen talks about your coming journey, explaining in detail how to reach Port Blacksand. Later, you gather up your backpack and furs and climb the wooden stairs to your room. You sleep uneasily despite the security afforded by your new broadsword. More than once, you are woken by the sniffing, scratching and howling of the roaming moon dogs outside. By dawn, you are already awake and dressed, determined, to reach Port Blacksand quickly, to find this man Nicodemus. As you leave the tavern, a black cat scurries past your feet and you almost trip. A bad omen, perhaps? Well, that was an epic introduction, and I think there's a couple of clues in there. I do love a clue, so I'm going to remind myself that silver arrows are good for taking out spirit stalkers and that my wonderful new sword has gilded serpents twining around the hilt. The walk to Port Blacksand takes you west some 50 miles across plains and over hills, fortunately without any harmful encounters. Eventually you reach the coast and see the high city walls surrounding Port Blacksand and the cluster of buildings projecting into the sea like an ugly black mark. Ships lie anchored in the harbour and smoke rises gently from chimneys. It looks peaceful enough and it's only when the wind changes that you smell the decay in the breeze to remind you of the evil nature of this notorious place. Following the dusty road north along the coast to the city gates, you begin to notice fearful warnings, skulls on wooden spikes starving men in iron cages suspended from the city wall and black flags everywhere as you approach the main gate a chill runs down your spine and you instinctively grip the hilt of your broadsword for reassurance at the gate you are confronted by a tall guard wearing a black chainmail coat and iron helmet there's a lovely illustration of the guard who looks a bit like hordak out of Shira, he's got a big kind of skull faced iron helm that completely covers his face, and in the background you can see all sorts of people doing weird and odd things. It's a really really evocative, really evocative. The guard steps forward, barring the way with his pike, saying Who would enter Port Blacksand uninvited? State the nature of your business or go back the way you came, will you? Tell him you wish to be taken to Nicodemus. Tell him you wish to sell some stolen booty or attack him quickly with your sword. City of Thieves, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he'll be absolutely fine with the idea of selling stolen booty and I don't think he's going to take me to Nicodemus so we will go... With the booty argument, I'm not going to attack him. That seems to be just asking for a fight that I may not need to have. You tell the guard that you wish to sell some silver chalices you stole from a tavern in Silverton, and that you will pay him a gold piece for his advice as to where to go for the best price. The guard looks at you suspiciously, saying, Let me look at these chalices in your backpack before I admit you. Oops. Will you tell him that you know the chalices are cursed and should only be examined by a mage? Try to run past the guard into the main street or attack him quickly with your sword. I mean, when I start lying to someone, usually if I get called on it, I just tell another lie and then another and another. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to tell him that I know the chalice is accursed. The guard frowns. It's odd because I don't think I can see it under his whole head covering helmet, but never mind. A likely story, I'm sure, but. I suppose you are just the same as all the rest inside this city. You can enter at your own peril or buy my advice for three gold pieces. Do you want to head straight into the city or do I want to buy the guard's advice? Well, I'm not one to ignore the opportunity for some advice, so we will do that. Once again, lying on top of lying comes through in a pinch. This city, he says, is ruled by Lord Azure, and he is a mean man. When you preside over the chaotic inhabitants of Port Blacksand, you have to be mean. And he's the meanest. I should warn you that if you were found without a pass, you're as good as dead. I'd get one if I were you pretty quickly. He then makes a sweeping gesture of the arm, and you walk past him into the city. Through the main gates, you see that the rubbish-filled streets of the port are narrow and cobbled. Old and decrepit buildings line them closely, with their upper stories overhanging menacingly. You may either go west, down Key Street... Head north along Market Street, or go east down Clock Street. Now, I have a natural aversion in these kind of situations to going north. I always feel as though, particularly the way in Livingstone writes, you're more likely to be finding what you need if you go either east or west. So, I'm going to go down Key Street for no particular reason. I just quite like the idea of a street where the main business is selling keys, On the left side of the street, you see a large iron key hanging over the doorway of a small shop. A sign in the window reads, J.B. Raggins, locksmith. Do you want to enter the shop, or do you want to continue walking west? I would like to enter the shop. Sitting on a stool at the back of the shop is an old bespectacled dwarf. Of course there is. It's Ian Livingstone. He loves a dwarf. Uh, there's a lovely illustration of uh, JB Raggins at work and he's got a lovely cat underneath his workbench and the wall is covered in clocks and keys. It's very evocative and he's got a, a really uh, splendid expression on his face. I mean, he he looks like someone who's worked in tech for the last 20 years, kind of plump-cheeked and bearded. Uh, Sitting on the stool at the back of the shop is an old bespectacled dwarf. He's busy cutting a key on a cast iron treadle machine which squeaks and grinds noisily. You cough to get his attention, but he does not look up from his work. Finally, the machine comes to a halt and the dwarf asks you what you want. You can either ask him if he has any skeleton keys for sale, or ask him if he knows where Nicodemus lives. Tempting though a skeleton key is, I think the important thing right now is to find out where Nicodemus lives, so I'm going to ask him that. Your question produces a suspicious look on the face of the dwarf and he raises one eyebrow. Then he says, I know Nicodemus, but what do you want of him? You may reply by telling him either that you are on a mission from Silverton and need the help of Nicodemus, or that you want to kill Nicodemus. I'm going to say I'm on a mission from Silverton and need the help of Nicodemus. I mean, I get that the City of Thieves is full of horrible murderers but this craftsman seems a decent sort listener he is not a decent sort The dwarf jumps off his stool, his face full of hatred. He calls out two names loudly and two huge black dogs immediately appear from under a table with long fangs protruding from their slavering mouths. Raggins points a finger at you, shouting, Kill the friend of Nicodemus! And the dogs leap at you, barking wildly. You must fight them for your life one at a time. The first wolf dog? Has a skill of 7 and a stamina of 7, and the second wolf dog has a skill of 7 and a stamina of 5. I am going to roll some dice. Okay, I have murdered the wolf dogs. It's weird, in real life I'm notoriously paranoid, but as soon as I set foot into a fantasy world, I become the most trusting man in the world. During your fight with the wolf dogs, Raggins runs out of the front of the shop, perhaps to fetch help. Do you wish to stay and search the shop, or would you rather hurry out and continue west along Key Street? Well, given how easily I kill these dogs, I'm going to stay and search the shop. I think I've got time. What's the worst that could happen? Good news. Inside a box on the wooden shelf, you find three gold pieces and an iron key. On examining it, you realise this is a very special key. It is a skeleton key that will open just about any lock you care to try. Add one luck point and leave the shop to head west. The street makes a sudden right turn and heads north. You pass a cluster of small houses and are aware of unseen people watching you walk by. Then the door to one of the houses opens and a small boy dressed in rags runs out and hands you a piece of paper. Without stopping, he runs off and disappears round the corner. The paper has a message on it which reads arrows from six bows are pointed at you. Leave ten gold pieces in the middle of the street and keep walking. Rude. If you want to obey the instruction, make the necessary deductions on your adventure sheet and lose two luck points. If you want, you can keep walking without leaving the gold. Well, I mean, children are evil. That much is certainly true. But they're also terrible at organising things. I can't imagine a child organising friends to point bows at me. I think this child is full of nonsense, so I'm going to keep walking on. As you take your first step forward, you are alarmed to hear the familiar whistle of arrows flying through the air. They are coming from windows on either side of the street. Roll one die. This is the number of arrows that will hit you, and each will cause you to lose three stamina points. If you're still alive, lose two luck points and continue. So, how many arrows i really am terrible at decisions Five. Ooh dear that's 15 stamina out of my total of 19 okay you feel like a pincushion and although the pain is almost unbearable you manage to stagger on down the street ahead to your right you see the door of one of the houses opening and a little girl looking out apprehensively she beckons you to enter the house Do you wish to enter the house, or do you wish to continue walking north? I mean, she's got a knife, hasn't she? She's got a knife, and presumably relatives. There's going to be a stabbing. I'm going to get stabbed up. I think I will enter the house anyway, because I just hate not knowing things. There could be all sorts in that house. There could be gold, treasure, or some kind of delicious pie. I can't pass up on even the slender possibility of pie, so we're going in. The little girl grabs hold of your arm and leads you into a back room, saying nothing she motions you to lie down on a sheepskin rug. Suddenly, you are aware of a very old man sitting opposite. He rises slowly from his rocking chair and walks over to you. You watch, transfixed, as he takes hold of an arrow protruding from your arm and gently pulls it free without causing you any pain. The wound made by the arrow disappears before your eyes. Other arrows are treated similarly. If you suffered more than one wound... You may restore two stamina points for each arrow pulled free by the old man. Okay, so I'm back up to 14. Then, in a slow, almost inaudible voice, he tells you that he wants the broadsword that Owen Karalith gave you in payment for the healing. You feel obliged to give him your sword, though reluctantly. In exchange, he gives you an ordinary fighting sword. Reduce your skill score by one. According to the introduction of this i've slain least one dragon which seems remarkable given that so far on the basis of this adventure my strategy for defeating a dragon would be to walk blithely into its open mouth and then look all surprised quite amazed i've made it out of adolescence to be honest Anyway, we leave the house and we head north. While most of the houses in the street are small, cramped and dark, you see one ahead that stands alone and is painted bright red. The door has a welcome sign hanging from it. Do you wish to enter the house, or do you prefer to keep walking? I'm going to enter the house. I mean, I'm obviously going to enter the house. Inside the house, you find yourself in a room painted red and empty, apart from a table, on top of which are two glass bowls. In one, there is a small golden scorpion and in the other lies a silver scorpion. In the far corner of the room, there are stairs that lead up to another floor. You may pick up the golden scorpion, maybe, probably not, pick up the silver scorpion, I can't imagine a silver scorpion is any better than a gold one, climb the stairs or leave the house and head north. Now, it feels stupid, but I'm going to pick up the golden scorpion because I am just that guy. I am literally that guy. In inspecting the scorpion, you see that it is a brooch. Hooray. You decide to pin it to your leather tunic. It's a lucky charm. Add two luck points to your total. So I can't fight Werther down now, but I am pretty lucky. What will you do next? Do you want to pick up the silver scorpion, ignore it and climb the stairs, or leave the house? I'm going to push my luck and i'm going to take the silver scorpion as well i'm going to assume it's also a brooch and not just a scorpion i mean it'd be a bit weird wouldn't it i'm saying to someone where's my uh, scorpion shaped brooch oh i left it in the jar next to the jar of scorpions i also have now i think this is going to be a brooch inspecting the scorpion you see that it is a brooch you decide to pin it onto your leather tunic the brooch has magic healing properties After any battle, the brooch will immediately restore one stamina point to your total. Do I now want to climb the stairs or leave the house? I'm going to push my luck still further by climbing the stairs. The stairs lead into a small room, again painted red. Sitting at a table is a strange creature, with a long snout and deep red scaly skin. From its jaws protrude rows of sharp teeth and a long pink tongue quickly darts out in between them. The creature looks up. And stares at you. Are you wearing a scorpion brooch? I mean, I am. I think this might go somewhat badly. There's uh, again another lovely characterful illustration, and the scaly creature is sort of sat gazing at some jewels. And it looks like, I would say, a dragon that's really let itself go, It's just not been taking care of itself. It's a, it's a really evocative, kind of uh, grubby looking image of a dragon like creature. Still, Let's find out how this creature treats people who burst in wearing its possessions. The creature is outraged that you've stolen one of its brooches. In fact, I've stolen two. It jumps up and you notice smoke curling from its nostrils as its fury mounts. Suddenly, a blast of fire shoots from its jaw. It moves towards you with outstretched claws. The blast misses you, but you must fight the creature. It is called a Lizardine, or a Lizardine, if you prefer. It has a skill of 8 and a stamina of 8. As well as following the usual rules of battle, throw 1 die every attack round for the Lizardine's Fiery Breath. On a roll of a 1, 2 or 3, it burns you for an additional stamina point. On a 4, 5 or 6, you manage to dodge the blast. You can use your luck against the fire, and you can escape by running down the stairs. I will fight, however, because he was looking at some treasure. Wait, was looking at some treasure, and I quite like treasure. Okay, I won the fight, but I did get set on fire to a certain extent, to quite a large extent. Between the claws and the being set on fire, I was reduced to eight stamina points. So I've taken the opportunity to eat two portions of provisions, because nothing restores your strength when you've been set on fire like a cheese sandwich, and I've therefore returned my stamina to 16. On top of the Lizardine's table, you find four gold pieces and a scorpion brooch made of copper. If you wish to pick up the brooch and pin it to your tunic, you can. If you'd rather just take the gold, go back down the stairs and leave the house heading north. In for a penny, in for a pound. I think I'll look quite the gym Dandy with my three brooches, all shaped like scorpions, pinned to my tunic, so that's what I'm going to do. Oh dear. You are now wearing a brooch that slows you down in combat without you realising it. Reduce your skill by one. Finding nothing else of interest in the room, you decide to go back down the stairs and leave the house to head north. Walking towards you down the street are two town guards. They stop in front of you and demand to see your papers. Do you possess a merchant's pass? I do not. You are unable to explain why you're in Port Blacksand and the guards draw their swords, telling you that you are under arrest. You draw your sword and fight them, one at a time. The first guard has a skill of 7 and a stamina of 4. The second guard has a skill of 6 and a stamina of 6. I will see you shortly. I have defeated both of these city guards, although, thanks to some incredibly poor rolling, the first city guard gave me a proper battering and reduced me to eight stamina. So once again, I'm going to eat a couple of provisions, presumably some pickled eggs and maybe a pickled onion or two, to go with a cheese sandwich, and that will restore my health to 16. You make a rapid search through the guard's possessions and find seven gold pieces, a set of keys, and a piece of stale bread. Make a note of what you wish to keep and set off north again. Well, I'm keeping all of those. The street soon makes another sharp turn to the right and you find yourself walking east. Outside, one of the houses to your left is a pile of rubbish and broken objects. On the top of the pile is a pair of old boots that look about your size. Do you want to try them on? I mean, no. I don't really want to put on a pair of old boots that I found in a skip. But on the other hand, I want to know what they are. So I think I will try them on. The boots fit perfectly and walking about you feel very sure-footed they are magic elven boots add one skill point to your total and set off east again finally a little luck i now have a pair of boots that counteract the effects of my brooch say that's nice you arrive at a four-way junction in the street the street continuing east changes its name to clock street and the street running north and south is called market street Looking north, you see a crowd of people walking up the street, cheering loudly and waving their arms in the air. You decide to follow them. As you catch up with the chanting crowd, you can see that they are carrying eggs and rotten tomatoes. Soon, the street opens out into a large market square, All around the edge are stalls with vendors, hawkers, musicians and entertainers carrying on their business. In the middle of the square is an elevated pillory. Above the noise of the crowd a trumpet sounds and the crowd starts to pelt the man in the pillory with rotten food. An old woman standing next to you offers you two eggs to throw. Not wishing to appear to be an outsider, you take the eggs and hurl them. But as you do so, the old woman picks your pocket without you noticing. Lose one gold piece or any one item you may have. I mean, we've all felt peer pressure, haven't we? Which of us hasn't lobbed a rotten egg at someone purely on the grounds that other people seem to be doing it? This uh, also has a lovely illustration. Uh, You can see the old woman smiling at you in a way that suggests she knows more than she's letting on, which of course she does. And you can see the man in the pillory and there's a sign stuck to the pillory uh, with the legend ye goody two shoes which i think is just delightful i'm going to allow the old woman to have my stale piece of bread i think hopefully she enjoys it unaware of your loss you walk away from the crowd to look at the various stalls The food stalls are selling fruit, vegetables, meat and hot soup, corn and chestnuts for hungry shoppers. You may eat some hot food if you wish. Pay one gold piece and increase your stamina by two points. Well, I will do that. That gets me almost back to full. 18 stamina. I must be absolutely stuffed to bursting because I've eaten over the course of probably a couple of hours, four meals and a hot snack. That's Quite some going. Walking north along the west side of the square, you see a man dressed in purple velvet playing a lyre. If you wish to stop and listen, you can. You can also just walk past him. I mean, I feel like this is going to be a way of distracting people so that someone else can pick their pocket. But, as we've already established, I am nothing if not determined to repeat the same mistakes over and over again, so I will stop and listen. The man stops playing and tells you that he can bring you good fortune. For the sum of three gold pieces, he will sing you a song that will bring you luck. I have no idea what that would sound like. Uh, If you wish to pay the musician, you can. If you do not believe him, you can walk to the next stall. Three gold pieces. I've still got plenty of cash. I imagine he sings exactly the same song to everyone and just changes the name. That's what I'd do. The man strums his lyre and sings a merry song all about you and your good fortune. He does have the power to make you lucky. Add two luck points and go to the next stall. Awesome. I'm supposed to be on this mission, but I'm basically kind of like a tourist, just wandering around open-mouthed into every single tourist trap and shady chancer going. A small circle of people is standing around a bare-chested man. He is enormous, and his muscles look as hard as iron. He is asking the crowd for a volunteer to play catch with a cannonball. He states that whoever drops the cannonball must pay the other five gold pieces. If you wish to take him on at his game, you can but you can also walk on. Another lovely illustration showing a barbarian looking fellow with curly hair and the smuggest grin I think I have ever seen. And in the background, you can see a chap who's obviously taken a cannonball to the stomach, lying on the ground and looking like he's about to pass out. However, I don't particularly fancy my chances at playing catch with a cannonball, particularly not with such an Adonis. So I'm going to walk on. Behind the next stall is a young man selling small weapons and items of equipment. The prices of his wares are chalked up on a slate. So we can buy either a throwing knife for four gold pieces, a climbing rope, a butcher's meat hook for two gold pieces, uh, an iron spike for one gold piece, or a lantern for three gold pieces. I will do without the throwing knife, I think. Um, I will buy a rope, iron spike and lantern, and what the hell... I'll buy a butcher's meat hook as well. Who knows when I might have the need to hang a side of beef. That's the souvenirs taken care of. I then walk north. Like in the event I survive this adventure, someone is definitely getting a butcher's meat hook as a present. That is getting re-gifted. In the next stall area, there is a small brightly coloured tent. Attached to it is a small sign which reads, Madam Star Clairvoyant. Do you wish to enter the tent? I surely do. Sitting behind the small table is a plump woman wearing bright yellow clothes and a shawl over her head. She smiles as you enter, bidding you to sit down. She tells you that a glimpse of the future will cost you two gold pieces. Do you wish to pay to hear her predictions? I mean, I might as well do the full tourist experience, so yeah, why the hell not? Let's get rinsed by this chancer as well. Looking into a crystal ball, she seems to go into a trance. She tells you you are searching for a man, a wise man with magical powers, aren't we all? She pauses for a moment and then draws in a deep breath before going on to tell you that the man you are looking for lives in a hut beneath the bridge to the north. She warns you to be careful when approaching the man, for he does not welcome strangers. Then she looks away from the crystal ball and asks you to leave. Her face seems to be hiding something. Has she seen some dreadful fate awaiting you? You decide to leave the tent and head north. Well, that's helpful. It's starting to feel like Port Blacksand's reputation for scummery and villainy might be tad exaggerated. At the end of the market, a street named Bridge Street runs north out of the square. You decide to walk down it in the hope of finding the elusive Nicodemus. It starts to rain and the tumble-down houses huddled together on either side of the street look as if they need shelter themselves. Most have their windows boarded up and are empty. The door of one flaps noisily in the wind. Do you wish to take refuge in the derelict house until the rain stops? Or would you rather press on? I mean, I'm going to take refuge in the derelict house, aren't I? Even though this is fictional rain, that can't possibly inconvenience the real me, I feel like I'm the kind of person who would take refuge, so let's let's do it. It is gloomy in the house, but you can make out the shapes of abandoned furniture. Litter and rubble is strewn all over the floor. You find a broken chair and slump down in it to rest. Suddenly, you notice something slither across the floor, and before you can get to your feet, you see in the half-light that you are encircled by six snakes each a meter long. Do you wish to hack at them with your sword or would you rather make a dash for the door? Well I don't think they're going to have any gold are they? So I think I'll make a dash for the door. I think it's clear why these houses are abandoned. Small infestation of snakes. You leap over the snakes and run for the door. Test your luck. I shall. I am lucky. If you are lucky you reach the door safely. Lovely. Outside, the rain has stopped and you set off north again. Ahead, you see a wooden bridge stretching over a dirty river. Various bits of rubbish are floating down to the sea on its black surface and you squirm at the sight of a human hand passing by. The bridge supports and columns reach high above and you see skulls, both human and non-human, tied to them. The wind makes an eerie noise as it whistles through the bridge structures, reminding you of tortured souls crying out for help. Almost hidden from view is a small flight of steps going down underneath the bridge from where you are standing. A one-legged man carrying a sack is crossing the bridge from the north. If you wish to climb down the steps, you can, or would you rather wait to talk to the man? I feel like we've got to go down because this is where Nicodemus lives and I don't want to take the risk that having spoken to the man we're then just going to carry on blithely over the bridge even though we know that this is where Nicodemus lives. So I am going to climb down the steps. The smell by the water's edge is terrible. Above you hear the sound of footsteps crossing the wooden bridge. Built into the foundations of the bridge is a wooden hut. Drawn curtains obstruct your view into the hut, but you know that you are not welcome when you read the words Keep Out, painted on the door in large red letters. You draw in a deep breath and knock on the door. You hear muttering and the shuffling of feet, and suddenly the door is thrown open. Before you stands a white-haired old man with a long beard wearing long white robes he looks at you sternly and says explain yourself to nicodemus lovely lovely picture of him as well really really evocative sort of i mean he looks like gandalf i'll be honest he looks like gandalf complete with pipe from which smoke is emerging in the shape of a unicorn but it is it's really really nice so he says explain yourself nicodemus You are elated at finding Nicodemus and tell him about Zanbar bones reign of terror in the town of Silverton, and why Owen Karalif asked you to find his old friend to help them. Nicodemus frowns and walks back inside his hut, telling you to follow him. He sits down in a rocking chair and starts to speak in a calm voice. "'I am old and tired and wish for no more adventure.' I live here under the singing bridge in Port Blacksand to escape the pleas for aid from people fallen on hard times. Here, no one bothers me. But I do wish to help my old friend Owen. I will tell you how to defeat the Night Prince Zanbar Bone. Listen carefully. Remember you may defeat him only after sunset in daylight hours he exists on another plane no doubt he will have his servants to protect him but should you get past them you will need something special to deal with bone himself to protect you from his entrancing stare you must have a white unicorn in a yellow sun tattooed on your forehead that's going to be a great conversation piece later in life normal weapons will not harm him First, you must shoot him through the heart with a silver arrow. This will paralyse him, but not kill him. Then, you must quickly rub the ground compound of black pearl, hag's hair, and a lotus flower in his open eyes. With luck, he will decay before you in seconds. If your arrow misses, I'm afraid you will die the moment he touches you. The items for the compound can all be found in Port Blacksend. If you search hard enough, I regret, I cannot accompany you. Nicodemus then draws you a map of how to reach Zanbarbone's guarded tower from Port Blacksand. He stands up, shakes your hand and wishes you well. You leave his hut, climb the steps and cross the bridge over the Catfish River. Bridge Street continues north a short distance before ending at a junction. If you wish to walk west down Harbour Street, you can. If you wish to turn east down Candle Street, you can do that too if i need a very silly tattoo on my forehead no less i'm guessing that the place to find that will be where there are some sailors so i'm going to go down arbor street you pass a beggar in the street he is sitting in the gutter and holds an empty tin in his hand if you wish to toss a gold piece into his tin you can if you would rather walk past him you can do that too They say you shouldn't give money to beggars because they'll spend it on drugs and alcohol, but that's kind of what I do with money, so it's a bit churlish to take issue with someone else doing exactly the same thing. So I will toss him a gold piece. The beggar tips his hat in gratitude and mumbles a few words. Add one luck point. A narrow alleyway runs south off the street between two houses. Do you wish to walk down the alleyway or... Would you rather continue along Harbour Street? I will walk down the alleyway, of course. Why would I do anything else? Ahead, the alleyway is strewn with rubbish and discarded possessions. Suddenly you hear growling and you see movement among the rubbish. You draw your sword just in time as two wild dogs, each a metre and a half long, leap at you. You have to fight both dogs at the same time. First dog has a skill of four as does the second and one has four stamina and one has three. Both dogs will make a separate attack on you in each attack round but you must choose which of the two you will fight. Attack your chosen dog as in a normal battle And against the other, you will throw for your attack strength in the normal way, but you will not wound it if your attack strength is greater. You just count this as though you've defended yourself against its bite. If its attack strength is greater, it will wound you as normal. I hope that's clear. Let's get to it. I have won the battle without taking a single scratch. Do you have any of Mrs. Pipe's golden flowers? I do not. I will be wondering what Mrs. Pipe's Golden Flowers will do right up to the end of this adventure, when I will doubtless go back and check. As it is, we just go onwards. There is nothing to be found in the alleyway, so you return to Harbour Street and turn left. Ahead, you hear the noisy clatter of galloping hooves on cobblestones. You hear the noise of wooden wheels and the urging voice followed by the crack of a whip. Someone is rapidly approaching in a horse-drawn carriage. Do you wish to see who it is, or would you rather hide out of sight behind a barrel and watch the carriage pass by? I don't trust Posho's, I'm going to hide behind a barrel. The carriage thunders by and you see its driver urging on the four horses as though his life depended upon it. As the noise of the carriage fades into the distance, you step out onto the street and continue west. The street gradually starts to run downhill. The houses end at a tavern called the Black Lobster, and the street opens out into a quayside. A stone jetty runs out to sea, and tied to it is an old galleon. It is flying the skull and crossbones, and is probably one of the many pirate ships that anchor in Port Blacksand to offload their booty. Harbour Street turns to the right at the jetty and runs north parallel to the shore as far as you can see. If you wish to walk down to the jetty to climb on board the ship, you can. If you wish to walk north up Harbour Street, you can do that too. OK, so I'm going to go and investigate the pirate ship purely because I need a black pearl and the first Pirates of the Caribbean film was subtitled The Curse of the Black Pearl. So, yeah, that's what I'm going to do for the most spurious of reasons. A rope ladder hangs down from the stern of the ship to the jetty. There's also a gangplank leading up to the side of the ship. If you wish to board the ship by climbing the rope ladder, you can. If you wish to walk straight up the gangplank, you can do that too. I'm up to no good, so I'm going up the rope ladder. You reach the top of the ladder and peer over the handrail to survey the ship's deck. There are two large masts rising into the air from the deck. Wooden boxes, barrels and coils of rope lie all around, and one of the ship's crew stands on guard at the top of the gangplank. In the centre of the deck there is a small cabin with an open door. Through the door you see stairs leading down to the lower decks. If you wish to inspect any of the wooden boxes and barrels you will have to deal with the guard. If you wish you may creep along the deck to the stairs. Well, I think we're going to be creeping. The stairs lead down into the ship's cargo hold, It is empty. Opposite you, a corridor leads from the hold to two closed doors. You walk along the corridor and listen at the doors. From the door on your left, you hear loud snoring. From the door on your right, you hear nothing. Do you wish to open the door on the left or the right? So, uh, yes. Let's go for the one that doesn't have loud snoring coming from it first. Nice to see that we're back to our old technique of listening at doors, first pioneered in the Warlock of Firetop Mountain. The door opens into a small room, in the centre of which stands a steaming tub of hot water. If you wish to hide behind the door inside the room to see who is about to take a bath, you can. Would you rather close the door? I mean, I feel a bit dirty doing it, but I guess I'm going to see who comes in to take a bath... After a few minutes you hear footsteps coming down the corridor the door opens and a man walks into the room wearing nothing but a towel round his fat stomach as you watch he drops the towel and lowers himself gently into the tub with a loud sigh do you wish to surprise him by drawing your sword and uttering aloud a hum or would you rather creep out of the room back into the corridor while he submerges himself i will uh, make myself known i think it's fractionally the gentlemanly thing to do You tell the worried bather that, despite your hatred for pirates, you will not harm him if he cooperates with you. You ask him if he has any of the items that you are searching for, but he replies that as captain of a pirate ship, he does not need such things. You press the blade of your sword against his fat neck to make sure he is not lying. He looks terrified and assures you he is telling the truth. Then he says, "'But I do know where you can get a silver arrow.'" Ben Borryman, the silversmith, will make anything in silver at a price. You'll find him in Clark Street. Making a mental note of the information, I apologise for the voice. Making a mental note of the information, you leave the shivering captain alone in his room, locking the door behind you. You can either open the other door if you've not already done so, or leave the ship and continue your search of Port Blacksand by walking north up Harbour Street. So, we're going to check out the other room. Asleep in their bunks are three pirates. Their room is small and contains only clothing and a few personal possessions. It looks as if the pirates have been drinking and gambling. Shocking behaviour. There is an uncorked bottle of rum, a mug and a pack of cards on top of the barrel in the centre of the room. You see that one of the pirates is wearing a small leather pouch around his neck. Do you wish to try and creep up? To cut it loose or would you rather close the door again and not take any risks rather delightfully the slumbering pirate appears to be clutching a furry rabbit in one hand which i think is just delightful but not so delightful as to prevent me from ripping off whatever he's got in his leather pouch so that's what i'm going to do go for the leather pouch test your luck i am lucky you tiptoe quietly out of the room and close the door. In the corridor, you open the pouch and find six black pearls. Add two luck points. Well, wow, this is exciting. If you have not already done so, you may open the other door or leave the ship to continue your search of Port Blacksend by walking north up Harbour Street. So, we have a black... We have six black pearls. The street runs north along the quayside for a few hundred metres before arriving at a junction. If you wish to continue north up Harbour Street, you can. Or do you wish to walk east along Clog Street? Well, the pirate captain told us that there was a silversmith in Clog Street, so that's where we're going. Clog Street is very narrow and lined with terraced cottages and the occasional shop. To your left, you see what looks like a small boy lying face down on the cobblestones groaning loudly. A hood is pulled over his head and you cannot see his face. A wooden hoop and stick lie by his side. Do you wish to stop to help? Or would you rather walk on? I mean, I'll stop to help, I guess. Almost everyone in this town is horrible, but I can't take the risk that there's not something worthwhile to be gained. As you bend down to help the injured boy he suddenly rolls over and you see the flashing blade of a dagger before your eyes. The boy is in fact a goblin thief and you must fight him for your life. The goblin has skill 5 and stamina 4 so this should at least be brief. I defeated the goblin, but he did actually, despite his rubbish stats, manage to shiv me a little bit for two stamina points. So I'm now down to 16 stamina. The goblin's pockets contain two gold pieces, a clove of garlic and some old knuckle bones. You can take what you wish and head east again along Clog Street. We'll have all of that. Thanks very much. One of the shops to your left is a candlemaker's. There are many different coloured candles burning brightly in the window. Do you wish to enter the shop, or do you wish to continue east? I will enter the shop. Inside the shop, you see a tall, thin man with pointed ears and fair hair, pouring hot wax from an iron pan into a mould. The candle maker is an elf. As he turns to you to speak, you notice his slanted eyes, which are ice blue. For some reason, they appear very cold to you. He tells you that all his coloured candles cost one gold piece each. You may buy as many as you wish. He then asks if you'd like to see one of his magic candles in the back room. Sounds dodgy as all hell. Uh, Yeah, I think I will not do that. I don't think I might as well buy one candle. I will buy a nice pink candle. And then I will leave the shop and head east. Further along the street on the left is another shop. A sign outside reads Ben Borryman, Silversmith. Do you wish to enter the shop? I surely do. It's going reasonably well now, after a very, very poor start. A man wearing a white apron is sitting at a bench, busy polishing a silver goblet. There are several silver objects in a glass cupboard secured by an iron grill at the back of the shop. You can either talk to the silversmith, attack him with your sword, or leave the shop and continue east. Well, as I recall from the pirate... I think we actually need this gentleman to make us a silver arrow. I don't think he's going to have one just lying about. So let's talk with him. You ask Ben Borryman if he has any silver arrows for sale. He replies that he does not, but will make one for you at a cost of 10 gold pieces or two magic items. Can you afford his asking price? Well, I can. Now, this is where I'm going to do something a little bit controversial because I've got my, I'm going to give him two I'm going to give him two of my scorpion brooches now it says that I'm not aware that the scorpion brooch that reduces my skill does that but I'm aware that the other two are definitely magic so I figure I can allow myself to give him the bronze one if I also give him one of the good ones as well so I will give him the one I'll get the bronze one that reduces my skill and i'll give him the other one which increases my luck i've still got a potion of luck so let's drop that down to nine there we go so i can afford his asking price you pay the silversmith and wait patiently while he makes a silver arrow for you finally he presents you with it and assures you that it will be completely accurate in flight you thank him for his trouble and leave his shop outside you set off east once again hmm tower street or stable street i still need hag hair and lotus flower i'll go to stable street as you walk warily down the narrow cobbled street you are suddenly confronted by a little old man who dashes out of one of the houses he pulls a dirty bottle out of a canvas bag as he speaks, you can't help staring at the large wart on his nose with its tuft of hair. He smiles and asks if you would like to pay two gold pieces for a drink of his wonderful healing potion. Would you like to pay for a drink or would you rather keep going? Now I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if it was a healing potion, he could have healed his own wart. So I'm going to keep going east. In the middle of the street, you see a large manhole cover. Do you wish to lift the manhole cover to see where it leads or do you want to keep walking east? Everyone knows there are either alligators or ninja turtles in the sewers and I do want to find out which of these two it is in 1983. There is an iron ladder secured to the rim of a hole descending into a tunnel below. It is dark and a very unpleasant smell rises up from below. Do you wish to climb down the ladder? Well, I'm an adventurer and I know that you have adventures in sewers, that's just what happens probably have to kill some giant rats. At the bottom of the ladder, you realise much to your disgust that you are standing in a sewer. There are torches along the tunnel wall giving a very dim light and droplets of water make eerie sounds as they fall into the sewage. If you wish to walk north along the tunnel, you can. If you wish to walk south, you can do that too. Uh, Let's go north. Ahead, you hear the sound of squealing and frantic splashing long shadows are cast by moving objects coming towards you then you see the sleek glistening shapes of three giant rats only a few meters away from you you draw your sword hastily and fight each of the rats in turn it's a lovely illustration of some very manky looking rats in a very manky looking sewer and uh, yeah they've got kind of a very aggressive look to them i rather like it the first rat has a skill of 4, stamina 4. Second rat, skill 5, stamina 4. Third rat, skill 5, stamina 5. I'll see you on the other side. I have defeated the giant rats. One of them took a lump out of me, and that reduced me to 14 stamina. So after killing the rats, I'm going to scoff another packet of provisions and get myself back up to 18. While you were fighting the giant rats, you thought you saw someone or something skulking in the shadows ahead. Do you wish to continue further north along the tunnel, or or would you rather turn round and walk back to the entrance hole? I will continue north along the tunnel. With your sword still dripping with the blood of the rats, you walk further along the tunnel. The ledge you are walking along is narrow and slippery, and you have to tread carefully so as not to fall into the slow-flowing sewage channel. The tunnel gradually bends round to the right, and as you follow it round, the silence is suddenly shattered by the sound of running feet and a wailing scream. Coming straight at you, wild-eyed with flailing arms and contorted face uttering a demon sorcery, is a white-haired old woman dressed in rags. She is a hag. Do you possess a potion of mind control? I do not. There is a predictably lovely illustration of the hag lady and the face again really really expressive and you can see this shadow that she's casting on the wall that makes her look truly demonic. Really really nice. Uh, but yeah I don't have a potion of mind control so this could go badly. The hag is conjuring a spell which instills terrible fear in you. Your mind is full of illusions and you think that you're being burned alive with a crowd of skeletal faces looking on gleefully. Joke's on her because actually the only thing I'm truly frightened of is a hard day's work. You swing your sword around blindly, trying to hack at the faces laughing at you. Test your luck. If you are lucky, a swipe from your sword cuts into the hag. I could do with some luck. I've got a luck of nine at this point, and I roll a four, which is plenty. The hag screams as your sword cuts deep into her arm. Her concentration is lost, and the spell is broken. Your mind clears, and you're able to face her with your senses acute again. From out of her clothing, the hag pulls a dagger with a long, shimmering blade. You are eager to fight her. The hag has a skill of seven and a stamina of seven. See you on the other side. turns out i'm very good at murdering old ladies she did not put a scratch on me you bend over the motionless body of the dead hag and you cut off a tuft of her hair with your sword you put the hair safely in your backpack and walk back down the tunnel to the entrance so we are some flowers and an embarrassing tattoo away from having everything we need Back at the entrance hole, you may either climb up the ladder to the street in order to continue east, or if you've not already done so, you may walk south along the sewer. I always like it when you get the opportunity to explore both directions, but I feel like the hag was the real action there, so let's get on the street and continue east. After replacing the manhole cover, you set off east again. Everything seems a little too quiet. You begin to feel nervous ahead you see that stable street turns sharply to the left if you wish to walk round the corner you can alternatively you can walk back to the junction and turn right into tower street and this has been playing reasonably fair so i'm going to obey my nerves and i'm going to bug out to tower street just ahead of you three men are involved in a fight two younger men appear to be attacking an older man with iron bars do you wish to help the old man? I mean, he'll probably turn out to be a murderer or a zombie or something, but I can't really stand by while what appears to be an old man. is beaten to death with iron bars by what appears to be some young men. So I will help the old man. You draw your sword and rush to help the old man. He's lying on the ground and the other two men are beating him and trying to take his leather bag. You call out and they turn to attack you. You See, that's a little bit more honourable than I was planning. I was thinking I might get one in the spine with my sword to get the jump on the other one but hey ho so they are two robbers first with a skill of seven and a stamina of eight and the second with a skill of eight and a stamina of six the old sword arm is getting a serious workout in this one i have defeated the robbers they did no points of damage to me that's quite nice You walk over to the old man and help him to his feet. He is very grateful and offers to buy you a drink at a nearby tavern. If you wish to go for a drink, you can or you can continue your quest. Well, I have never turned down a free drink, so I will go with him to the nearest tavern. You follow the old man through the swinging doors of the Hog and Frog Tavern. We're having some good tavern names. He tells you to sit down at a small table in the corner while he shuffles over to the bar to buy the drinks. There are several shifty looking characters sitting at nearby tables but they don't seem to be interested in you. Soon the old man comes back to the table carrying two wooden mugs filled to the brim with cider. Oh I do love cider. Once seated he opens his leather bag and places two small pots on the table. He opens one and rubs the white cream in the pot on his wounds. He smiles and tells you that he is a chemist by trade and that you should rub some of the cream on your wounds too. You take his advice and are surprised to feel the healing effect of the cream work immediately. Add five stamina points. After finishing your drink, you say goodbye to the chemist, leave the tavern and head north. In many ways, this is the most implausible bit of the entire adventure me leaving a pub voluntarily after having had a pint of cider tower street makes a sharp turn to the right going east between tall buildings an iron bridge crosses overhead between two of the buildings and you see movement on it small cloaked people are carrying laden sacks between the buildings apparently in a great hurry do you wish to call out to them or do you wish to walk under the bridge and continue east i wish to call out to them one of the small people stops and looks down at you he mistakes you for a town guard and calls to his accomplices to run for cover then he points a short crossbow at you and fires a bolt test your luck i am lucky i think i might be glugging my potion of luck any minute now because i'm now down to seven luck Uh, if you are lucky the bolt thuds into the ground at your feet The little man with the crossbow curses before running into the building on your left. That does not seem to be an easy way to catch him, so you walk under the bridge and continue east. Tower Street soon ends at a junction where it meets Stable Street running north and south. You decide to go north. To your left, you see a large wooden barn set back from the houses. Two horses are tied on a post outside the barn, and smoke rises from a crooked chimney on top of its low, flat roof. If you wish to walk through the barn doors, you can. If you would rather continue north, you can do that too. What could possibly be dangerous inside a barn except for horses? Horses are evil, evil creatures. Can't trust them an inch, but... I'm going to risk the wrath of horses and I'm going to enter the barn. You soon realise you are in a stable when you see a large bare-chested man wearing a grubby white apron, busy at work at an open fire. He takes a red hot iron bar from the fire with his gloved hand and starts to hammer it into the shape of a horseshoe on his anvil. Sweat pours from his brow as he toils with the hammer. Will you make conversation with a blacksmith, attack him with your sword, or leave him to his labours? I will make conversation. The blacksmith removes his gloves and wipes his hand on the apron before asking you what you want. You answer by asking if he makes anything besides horseshoes. He replies that in his spare time he enjoys making chainmail coats. In fact, it's become quite a profitable sideline of his, especially in a place like Port Blacksand. He tells you in great detail of the skill and labour that goes into making one and finally inquires if you are interested in buying one. They're not cheap. If you wish to pay 20 gold pieces for a chainmail coat, you can. If you wish to leave the stables without buying a coat, you can do that too. Oh, I want a chainmail coat. I do want a chainmail coat, but still need a tattoo and a a lotus flower so i think i will have to take a pass on this occasion so we leave the stable and turn to go north coming towards you as fast as he is able is a man in tattered rags with a ball and chain attached to his leg he is exhausted and collapses into your arms his face is dirty and unshaven with great difficulty he manages to speak saying please cut me free the town guards are not far behind me. I've been locked in a dungeon for two years, but I managed to tunnel my way out. I was robbed and unable to pay my taxes, so Lord Azur, he ordered I should be jailed for five years. Please help me. Further up the street you hear shouting voices and then armed men come into view. Do you want to cut through his chains with your sword or hand him over to the town guards?' like the town guards so far have actually been pretty much on the up and up so i think i might just hand him over the guards are pleased that you have caught their wanted man they tell you that he is an escaped murderer the chief guard hands you five gold pieces saying here's your reward but you won't be getting another one he won't escape again You watch for a short while as they lead the shouting murderer away before continuing north along Stable Street. I've made a succession of genuinely quite good decisions in the last little bit. So I now have 29 gold pieces. That's nice. On the right-hand side, the houses are separated from the street by a wooden fence with shrubs, trees, bushes and flowers behind it. There is a turnstile in the middle of the fence, by the side of which is a sign reading public gardens entry fee one gold piece you want to go into the gardens or do you want to keep on walking well i guess if i'm going to find lotus flowers anywhere it's going to be in gardens so i'm going to go and have a look at those You're down to 28 gold pieces you place the coin in the slot and walk through the turnstile although the flowers and shrubs are not outstanding you're nevertheless surprised that such a place exists in port Blacksand. The gardens are not very large, extending back some 60 metres to where some homes back onto them. There are two paths to follow, one of which runs around the edge of the gardens and one that leads directly into the centre, where there is some topiary. Each shrub has been cut into the shape of an animal. You decide to take a closer look. The path leads into a small paved area, surrounded by the animal-shaped shrubs. In the middle, there is a stone plinth, on which sits a large earthen bowl containing lotus flowers. There is a painted sign which reads, Do not pick the flowers. The gardener is nowhere to be seen, and there's nobody else about. Do you wish to risk picking one of the flowers? Or would you rather leave the gardens and continue north? I think I will risk picking one of the flowers as soon as you pluck one of the flowers you hear the noise of rustling leaves three of the animal shaped hedges have uprooted themselves and are closing in on you do you have a ring of fire i do not you draw your sword to defend yourself against the advancing leaf beasts they all attack you at once seemingly trying to crush and smother you treat the leaf beasts as a single creature And it's got a skill of 6 and a stamina of 6. After defeating the leaf beasts, you run back to the turnstile, still clutching the lotus and make your getaway into stable street. Doing well, I am actually going to glug my potion of luck to get myself up to luck 9. I just remembered, I did need to do that. We seem to be going to the business end of the adventure. I think I'm going to need all the luck I can get from here on in. But I do now have that lotus flower, so I am one embarrassing tattoo away from saving the world. The street ends at a junction with Mill Street, which runs east and west along the city wall. Looking east, you see a group of town guards marching towards you, and you decide to walk quickly west along Mill Street. On your left, you see a narrow lane ahead and you see a young lad coming towards you, pushing a barrow laden with fruit. Do you wish to walk down the lane, or do you wish to buy some fruit from the barrow, boy? I will walk down the lane. I'm still very hale and hearty. I don't need any fruit. The lane ends at a small shop. On the glass-paned door is a sign. Jimmy Quick Tint, best tattooist in town. A tiny bell rings as you push the door open, and a fat man wearing purple silk smiles in greeting. You are surprised to see that his arms, hands, feet and even his face are completely covered in colourful tattoos. I mean, not desperately surprising for a tattoo artist to have a whole bunch of tattoos. A nice illustration of him. He looks, uh, yeah, sort of uh, very much a man who might enjoy a pint of real ale, I think. The tattooist grins and says, practice what you preach. You tell him that you require a yellow sun to be tattooed on your forehead with a white unicorn at the centre of it to He replies that it is a simple task, but it will cost 10 gold pieces. Can you afford his high price? I can, but if I'd bought the chain mail, I would not be able to afford it. So hooray for me. Down to 18 gold pieces. He takes the money and motions you to sit down on a wooden stool. After a long and painful process of repeatedly pricking your forehead with a sharp needle, he applies the indelible inks. You look into a mirror on the wall and find your new appearance somewhat strange. You shrug your shoulders and leave the shop. You then walk back up the lane and turn left into Mill Street. So, by my reckoning, we've got everything we need. This is an exciting, exciting moment. Walking towards you along the street are two huge girls wearing the black uniform of Lord Azure. As they get closer you can see that they are trolls, brutal mercenaries employed by Azure as imperial elite guards. To your right there is a tree which reaches almost to the top of the city wall. If you want to risk walking past the trolls you can. If you wish to climb the tree in order to get over the wall you can do that too. Now uh, the illustration of the trolls makes them look like yeah quite fearsome looking creatures but also they've got that kind of jobs-worth expression. They look as though they'd be in the extreme when it comes to enforcing petty rules and regulations so i will try and climb the tree the trolls see what you are doing and run towards the tree you are forced to leave your shield behind lose one skill point after climbing quickly up the tree you realize that you must jump a distance of two meters between the branch and the top of the wall if you're wearing a chainmail coat you will have to take it off in order to jump safely across to the wall Below, you see the two trolls running round the tree, waving their swords at you. There's no alternative but to jump. Good job I didn't buy the chain a second time. It's a close shave, but you just manage to grip the edge of the wall with your fingertips. You pull yourself up and climb onto a stone walkway along the top of the city wall. On either side of you are stone towers rising above the battlements, spaced some hundred metres apart. There are doors in the towers both of which are suddenly flung open as more guards run out to capture you. There is a 20 metre drop on the other side of the wall. Will you jump to freedom? Fix a climbing rope if you have one to the wall, and climb down the other side or face the oncoming guards. I don't fancy jumping to freedom, because it sounds as though that might be freedom from life itself, and I do have a climbing rope. So that's what I will do. You lower yourself slowly to the ground. Above you, the guards are waving their fists at you from the battlements. You are now outside Port Blacksand. Do you have all the necessary items required to slay the Night Prince? I do. That's exciting. Following Nicodemus's map, you start your long walk north to the guarded tower of Zanbarbone, the Night Prince. You walk through woods and fields, you are able to relax a little in the pleasant countryside and breathe the fresh air with its wonderful scents. As the light fades, you decide to camp under a huge elm tree. You cook a meal of stewed rabbit and mushrooms before settling down to a long, deep sleep, which adds two stamina points. Now back up to maximum stamina. In the morning, you look around for a yew tree and cut a long branch from it, with which you make a bow to fire the silver arrow. As you test the bow for accuracy, you are suddenly aware of a white dove sitting on a low branch nearby. There is a small piece of paper attached to its foot, which it lets you remove without flying off. There is a message on the paper which reads Dear Friend, I am afraid I must be getting too old to be of much use to anybody. I regret that I have misinformed you about the compound needed to kill Zanbarbone. You must use only two of the three ingredients i told you but i cannot remember which two i can only suggest i can only suggest you try hags hair and black pearls together or the hags hair and lotus flower together or the black pearls and lotus flower together apologies good luck n you throw the message on the ground and curse You change your mind a dozen times before making a decision. Finally, you make your choice and grind the two ingredients together on a flat stone. You place the compound in a leather pouch, hoping you have made the correct decision. I mean, It doesn't tell me I have to decide now on my adventure sheet, but I guess I should. I will go for the most expensive items, by which I mean the black pearls and the lotus flowers. Those are the ones that were the most tricky to acquire acquire so i feel like those are going to be the ones with the best chance of success you set off again but it is not long before your surroundings become less welcoming the trees are twisted and stunted and there are no birds to be heard you must be approaching the domain of the night prince suddenly to your left you hear rustling and grunting in the bushes it is a wandering monster which has been attracted by your scent Roll one die and consult the table below to see what creature has appeared. Fight this creature as usual. So, uh, we can have either an orc, a giant snake, a wolf, a pygmy, an ape man or a cave troll. Let's see what we get. We get an ape man who has a skill of 7 and a stamina of 6. See you on the other side. I defeated the Ape Man. Quite nice to have a a wandering monster table. That's proper old school D&Ding, that is. Is that the first one we've had since Warlock of Firetop Mountain? I think it might be. I took two stamina points of damage from the Ape Man. And I've also eaten a provisions because I feel like we're so close to the end that I don't want to risk not being able to get through the encounters for lack of stamina. So I'm I'm stuffing myself full of sausage rolls and packets of uh, cheese and onion crisps in order to uh, make sure that i'm in the very best of health for the fight to come if you fought the ape man turn oh hello did you fight the ape man i surely did you notice that the ape man's left hand is curled into a fist you prize open the fingers and find a tiny gold trinket in the shape of an owl It is a magic talisman which will allow you to see in the dark You place the owl carefully in your pocket and continue your journey. Has this book really hidden what might be a genuinely necessary item behind the random monster table? Because that is a cruel trick if that's the case. You walk all day until you reach the hill shown on Nicodemus's map upon which the Night Prince's tower stands. All is quiet and there's an unpleasant smell of decay in the air. Shadows start to creep along the ground as the moon rises into the night sky, and you see the foreboding, silhouetted shape of Zambarbone's tower pointing up into the sky like a black finger. You check all your possessions before drawing your sword and marching towards the arched wooden door. Suddenly, you hear a shrill howl and swing round to see two pairs of eyes staring at you they belong to moondogs zanbar bones trained killer hounds fight them one at a time so these are the moondogs we heard so much about in the lengthy opening sequence the first moondog has a skill of nine and a stamina of ten. Second has a skill of 11 and a stamina of nine i have a current skill of nine so this could be tricky this could be tricky this could be the end of the adventure and i I i'll be so gutted if i can't make it through this because i've come so close okay I did manage to defeat the moon dogs uh, they did quite a lot of damage to me but I've just stuffed myself with cake and sweets from my provisions and I'm now back up to full stamina I'm running low on provisions but this seems like as good a time as any to use them I've got two provisions left should I need them uh, I also used a point of luck. To finish off the second moon dog because it had an odd number of stamina, and that seemed sensible. But yeah, I have made it through. Oh, I'm so excited, so excited. You wipe blood from your sword and walk to the wooden door. You try the handle, but it is locked. Do you have a skeleton key? I do indeed. This is genuinely very exciting. The key fits the lock, which clicks open as you turn it. You open the door and enter a beautiful marble floored hallway. On three of the four walls hang portraits of evil-looking men and women, but on the far wall hang two iron shields. The crest on one is a tower, and on the other, a unicorn. A spiral staircase leads up from the centre of the hallway to a floor above. I'm going to work on the principle that the shield with the unicorn is the right one to take, because I've got a big stupid tattoo of a unicorn on my face. So, we will take the shield with a unicorn crest. The shield was taken from a goodly knight who died at the hands of Zambar Bone. It was forged with good magic. Add one skill point. My skill has been so up and down this adventure. Back to a skill of ten. You walk over to the spiral staircase with your new shield and climb to the floor above. Looking up, you see that the staircase goes all the way to the top of the tower. You stop off at the first floor and walk along the landing to a door the door opens into a large room which contains a comfortable made-up bed. If you wish to lock the door and go to sleep for the night, you can. Or if you wish to explore the tower further, you can do that too. Well, we were told way back when that we could only defeat Zanbarbone at night. And this is clearly a comfortably made-up trap designed to ensnare the very tired and the not terribly bright so i am only one of those things i've got plenty of energy at the moment so i will explore the tower further you walk quietly back to the staircase and climb up to the second floor again there is a door at the end of the landing do you wish to open the door i mean the smart thing to do would be to continue climbing up the tower but you know me by now listeners you know if there's one thing i can't resist it is a door So, I'm going to go through the door and hope for the best. You walk into a lavishly furnished room containing objets d'art and curios. Standing before you is a young woman dressed in a black silk gown. This is like one of the only two women we've seen so far. She has long black hair and bright red lips. She smiles and motions you to sit down in one of the armchairs. You refuse to sit down, only too aware that she is one of Zanbar Bone's servants. She walks towards you open-armed, as though she is about to embrace you, and when she smiles again, you see two fang-like teeth, which can only belong to a vampire. Do you have any garlic? Do you have some garlic, amazingly enough? Pushing my luck so, so hard at this point, and it's still kinda coming off. A horrified look spreads across the vampire's face when she sees the clove of garlic in your hand she retreats into a corner of the room trying to escape the pungent smell which negates her blood-sucking powers you back out of the room taking the key to the door with you and lock it from the outside you then run over to the staircase and climb the stairs to the next floor you climb up the third floor and see another door at the end of the landing do you wish to open it I mean the last one had a vampire behind it so this one will presumably have some lovely jelly and maybe a cake so we'll open this door despite the light from the burning lanterns on the landing you are unable to see anything inside the room it is completely black do you have a golden owl I surely do holding the golden owl in your hand you are able to see into the pitch black room just in time you notice the tripwire across the doorway at your feet and a large crossbow pointing at you at the opposite wall there is nothing else in the room i mean who could have foreseen that every single room in this lair of diabolical evil would be filled with traps and bad things i think i might just have to let the next one go i have pushed my luck so so far on the next floor there are two doors adjacent to one another on the landing one is painted white and the other black suddenly a voice calls out from nowhere saying oh foolish adventurer why do you even consider it a remote possibility that you can defeat me the almighty zanbar bone i am following your every move but you do not know where i am (laughs) (laughs) will you open the white door the black door or carry on up the stairs okay so it seems as though mr bone so I'm going to call him from now on, Mr. Bone, is suggesting that I might actually have to open quite a lot of doors to try and find him, which is a particularly mean trick just at the point where I've decided I'm not going to open any more doors because they're all really dangerous. So I don't know. He's evil. Black is the traditional colour of evil in the West. So yeah, I guess I open the black door and see if that's His room. You open the door and enter a room which is adorned with macabre objects and paintings. A black cat is sitting in front of a table covered in black cloth. Two black candles are burning on either side of a mirror on the far wall. On the table lies an open chest containing a golden skull. Well, I'm noping out of this pretty hard. I know black cats are evil because I've got one. So I'm going to close the door and open the white door. You enter a room which is very dark and very cold. The walls and floor are made of rough stone, and the room is empty except for a decorated sarcophagus. There is a strong, musty smell in the air. Do you want to open the sarcophagus? I mean, no, but also yes. Oh, I I can't imagine Zanbar Bones hiding in a sarcophagus. I imagine there's a mummy hiding in the sarcophagus. So I'm just going to turn around and walk outside. Outside on the landing you may either enter the black door which we've done or walk back to the stairs to climb up to the next floor. I guess we push onwards. On the next landing there is a door with a black tower carved in ebony attached to it. There's also a black suit of armour standing outside the door. Do you want to inspect the suit of armour, open the door or carry on up the stairs? I'm going to investigate the suit of armour and I'll be really really cross if it comes to life. There is a battle axe held in the iron-plated glove of the armour. Do you wish to take the battle axe? I mean, it's black armour. With my incredibly simplistic system of going things that are painted black in this setting are bad. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do the alternative, which is pushing the suit of armour onto the floor to make sure it's not booby-trapped. The suit of armour breaks up as it crashes onto the floor. It is no threat to you, and you may either open the door in front of you, or walk back to the staircase and climb up to the next floor. Well, the door's got the tower on. That sounds like it might just be Zanbar Bone's bedroom. I'll go inside and see if Mr Bone is at home. The room you enter is full of debris and rotting food. Standing in the middle of all the mess are two men wearing tattered clothing. They have hollow eyes and vacant expressions. On seeing you, they pick up wooden sticks and advance towards you. If you wish to back out of the room and shut them in, you can. If you wish to attack them, you can do that too. Again, if I don't have to fight them, I'm not going to fight them. This is... Oh, my heart is genuinely racing. Yeah, I'll I'll leave them to it. You walk quickly over to the staircase and climb up to the next floor. The staircase ends at a door. You turn the handle slowly and the door opens... Much to your surprise, it opens into air. You walk outside onto the flat roof of the tower. Suddenly, you are aware of movement in the sky, and look up to see two large birds in the moonlight with long beaks and talons swooping down on you. There is no time to run for cover, and you must fight the death hawks. Which sounds like it's going to be really bad, but the first Death Hawk has a skill of 4 and a stamina of 5, and the second a skill of 4 and a stamina of 4. So, I will see you on the other side. Yup, stabbed those birds up, but good. No damage taken. You sit down to rest and plan what to do next. As you slump down on the cold stone floor, you inadvertently knock over a glass jar you hadn't seen which rolls against the wall and shatters. From the broken jar, a small man some 15 centimetres high steps out and walks over to you. He looks up at you with his hands on his hips. In a barely audible voice, he says, Thank you very much. I've been trapped in that infernal jar for the last hundred years. Now, how can I repair you? If you want to ask the whereabouts of Zambar Bone, you can do that. If you wish to ask if he can heal some of your wounds, you can do that do I will ask him for the whereabouts of Zanbarbone. The tiny man smiles and says, Ah, well, if that's all you want, that's simple enough. He's on the fourth floor in the room with the black door. Then he waves his arms at you and disappears in a small puff of smoke. You stand up and walk back down the stairs to the floor where there are two doors adjacent to each other on the landing. You breathe in deeply and turn the handle of the black door. So my incredibly simplistic idea was bang on the money i just lacked the courage of my convictions not for the first time so once again you open the door and enter a room which is adorned with macabre objects and paintings a black cat is sitting in front of a table covered in black cloth two black candles are burning on either side of a mirror on the far wall on the table lies an open chest containing a golden skull I guess I now have to walk over to the chest. Yes, I do. Because I've tried the other options. Are you wearing the ring of the golden eye? I'm not. As you reach the chest, it disappears before your eyes. You hear laughter behind you and suddenly see in the mirror the hideous reflection of a black-robed skeleton with green translucent eyes wearing a golden crown on its skull. You spin round... But it's too late. Zanbarbone's skeletal fingers are touching your flesh and are draining your life away. You are now one of his undead servants. So close. So close. So near and yet so far. There was an entire other object which I needed in order to be able to defeat Zanbarbone. Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe I came so close and failed at the last hurdle, more or less. Oh, so once again, we're left waiting for our first legitimate win. That means our adventure is over and I will be spending the next couple of hours working my way through City of Thieves on my own again to see where that ring of the golden eye actually comes from. Join me in a couple of moments when I'll be giving you my last thoughts on City of Thieves, uh, a book I have hugely, hugely enjoyed playing. I think that is not a spoiler. See you in a moment. So that was City of Thieves and I have to say I might have a new favourite fighting fantasy book after that playthrough. While I'm disappointed that I fell at the final hurdle, that seems to be a fairly typical experience for me, I had a lovely time exploring such a rich and dynamic feeling setting. Once again we see a new fighting fantasy book take us on a journey to a new environment and demonstrate just how flexible the format can be. The majority of the time, City of Thieves is presenting quite simple encounters with a few different options to explore, but by virtue of the sheer number of them, it contrives to make Port Blacksand feel bigger and stranger than it has any right to feel. I think the first reason City of Thieves works so well for me is that it's really well written and the artwork is perfectly married to the tone. Despite Port Blacksand being on many levels a harrowing place to spend time, filled with murderers, cheats, near do wells and weird misfit monsters, there's a rambunctious, almost Hogarthian tone to both the writing and to Ian McCaig's art. The people feel distinctly alive and earthy. They truly feel like they're urbanites, which contrasts really neatly with the anti-social, often lonely encounters that populated the Forest of Doom. Here we have a cast of down-at-heel types, beggars, pirates, peddlers, petty criminals and artisans, and they somehow feel like they have their own existence, even when there are no adventurers about, which I think is fantastic. I love the brief vignette where you come across some larcenous types busy transporting mysterious sacks between buildings. When I stop to investigate, they shot a crossbow at me and then ran off and I'll never know what skullduggery they were up to and I love it the sense of untold stories within the setting. Now Steve Jackson would go on to create an even more expansive city in his sorcery books in uh, Kare City Port of Traps but Port Blacksand is, in some ways, the apogee of world-building within fighting fantasy, and several gamebooks will return to the city, as would the advanced fighting fantasy role-playing game. It's such a vibrant and packed setting for an adventure. Yeah, it makes me want to run a D&D game set in Port Blacksand, which is the highest praise I can really give. I'll probably play through the book again as well just to try and finish it but also to explore some of those additional encounters I didn't get to see on this playthrough the second element that I really like is that it's very well structured there's a three-act structure Part one, you're searching for Nicodemus. The second, you're gathering the shopping list of magical items. And the third is the actual assault on the Zanbar Bones Tower outside the city. Now, Ian Livingstone really does love a scavenger hunt, but in City of Thieves, he breaks it down quite cleverly. So the main part of it takes place over a short section, which is quite easy to explore. If he'd introduced the scavenger hunt at the start, that would have run the risk of making the search sort of too long and tedious for repeat playthroughs to be truly enjoyable. Not only that, but by applying a modicum of common sense and exploring everything as much as you possibly can, you can gather all the necessary items without too much difficulty, not least because I was able to do it. Also, because you know that all the items can be found in Port Blacksand, if you make it to the exit of the city without the fourth set, you know you'll have to go back and search again. I really like this approach to what is a fairly long list of necessary items to complete the adventure. The need for various magical items to deal with Mr. Bone is a tried and tested technique to make the final encounter epic rather than just a big skill and stamina creature fight, which as we saw the Forest of Doom, that can feel a bit underwhelming at the end, although not nearly as underwhelming as your adventure just stopping, like in Starship Traveller. I didn't get that experience, of course, because I missed a vital extra item which you need to defeat Zambar Bone. This one hidden in his tower. There is a slight clunkiness to the way Zambarbone essentially tells you that you need to search his tower thoroughly, but I'm prepared to forgive that because a clunky hint is still miles better than no hint at all the only problem there is that the tower is actually quite deadly there's a crossbow trap that will kill you if you fail a luck roll and a vampire that will kill you if you don't have any garlic and i think the close shave with the vampire made me much more hesitant about checking out the other rooms more thoroughly and that meant i didn't get the magic ring you need to avoid being instantly killed by zambar bone before you even get to the palava with the silver arrows and the guessing game with the ingredients for the magic dust. Um, I did look that up, by the way, and predictably enough, I got the mixture wrong. I think requiring an item from the tower to finish is fair enough. It's pushing the adventurer to explore thoroughly, which means they get to experience more of the book's encounters, and I think that can only be a good thing. Guessing which two of the ingredients won't get you killed, that does push the end game into properly unfair territory. And I think if there was ever a time for the sausage finger bookmarks to be fair, I think that's it. One element that we can clearly see being foregrounded more in City of Thieves is combat. This is a book that's tricky to finish with a skill less than 10, I would say. I started at 10 and I got through a decent chunk of my provisions on the journey. If my stamina had been lower, I would have really struggled to get past the moon dogs at the gate of Mr. Bone's big tower. You also need a good luck score, although the book is fairly generous at doling out luck, so it's not quite such a deal breaker. And this is something we're going to see increasing, I think, in the fighting fantasy books as we go along. Combat occupying a more central role. And it does make a certain degree of sense. If you want to tell more expansive stories and keep to that 400 section maximum, you need to keep some of the encounters quite simple and combat is a good way of doing that if every combat encounter has some way around it or possibly several ways around it like in citadel of chaos the game area ends up feeling very small now that's not always a bad thing but if you're trying to showcase more of the world it puts a significant upper limit it significantly constrains the number of encounters you can actually have. Also, combat encounters, they are easy to write, as anyone who's ever run A Game of Dungeons & Dragons can tell you. Combat encounters don't have to be dull, though, and City of Thieves showcases a fun range of different fights, from wild dogs and muggers, animated hedges and fire-breathing lizard things. Much like a tabletop RPG, a battle with a novel monster always feels fresher, than a battle with a familiar creature, even if the mechanics haven't changed at all. The expansion of combat in The City of Thieves demonstrates how game design is full of compromises. Ian Livingstone wanted Port Blacksand to feel big and crammed with people and crammed with strangeness, and to achieve that he needed to simplify the encounters considerably. I don't object to it at all here because the setting is so wonderfully realised, but I think later books in the series will start to lean on deadly combat encounters out of laziness or perhaps expectation that that's the done thing rather than as a conscious design choice. In practice, of course, most people didn't roll a single dice because they were too excited to find out what happened in the adventure and couldn't bear the thought of starting again from scratch, so I guess it becomes a bit of a moot point. And I have to say, playing the book through properly, I did find that the extra combat encounters added something to the tension, because there was always that feeling that I could be one or two really, really bad dice rolls away from things going very wrong indeed, and I quite enjoy that sort of thing. So, summary, City of Thieves, I think, is absolutely great. I had a blast playing through it, and I hope you enjoyed playing along with me at home. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at HJ Doom Retro Fun, all one word, at gmail.com, or follow me on Twitter at HJ Doom. Join me again next time as we embark on the most infamous dungeon in fighting fantasy history, because we'll be tackling the lethal Death Trap Dungeon. Thanks for listening. Take care.